Welcome to Fronteras, a program that explores issues at the border and beyond through the lens of arts, culture, and history. I'm Norma Martinez with Texas Public Radio in San Antonio. Fearless, bold, audacious. That's the kind of theater being produced by the theater company in San Antonio. Teatro Audaz explores the diverse experiences and cultures of Latinos and highlights underrepresented populations, including people of color, LGBTQ+, women, refugees, and immigrants. The theme of Teatro Audaz's current season is Reclaiming Our Roots. It featured a production of The Ghosts of Lote Bravo by Hilary Bettis about a mother trying to cope with the disappearance of her daughter in the Mexican border city of Juarez. Another play explored a girl's love of lucha libre and her secret desire to inherit her wrestler father's legacy. We're talking today with Laura Garza, executive and artistic director and co-founder of Teatro Audaz, and with board member Abe Ramirez, the group's managing director. Garza says the teatro's productions are like its motto, fearless, bold, and audacious. And all of our seasons, we try to do something new and fearless, in a new and fearless way, right? So, yes, we do theater and we do teatro, but we try to tell people it's not like your abuela's teatro, right? <laughs> it is not the, the same old. We try to do it in a way that, yes, pays homage to our traditions, but we also try to find our own way through that, too, in, in new and bold and fearless ways. And so when was it founded? Uh, this was 2016. I want to say in April 2016, it started with a Facebook post, right? <laughs> a year before that. And that really came from one of our co-founders, Allison Vasquez, uh, that she had put a, a Facebook post out saying, I want to start a theater company. Anybody in? So I said, hey, let's talk, right? Because she was back in San Antonio. And so she and I got together. And then uh, we're both alum from San Antonio College. And so, you know, after San Antonio College, we both went off and got our graduate degrees, came back and met up there. And then as we, she and I were talking, we said, maybe we should talk to our professor and director, Paula Rodriguez at the time from San Antonio College. And we brought Paula in, and Paula loved the idea, and so that's where that came through, yeah. And so if San Antonio has such a rich cultural arts scene, and it's not just music, but it's also theater. And so how does Teatro Audaz set itself apart from some of the other theater companies here in San Antonio or even across South Texas? I think it's because of the shows we do. Um, like Laura said, we try to do new shows. We're always trying to help raise awareness to not only stories, but playwrights, right? We're about encouraging our gente and giving our actors a space to be represented, our designers to be represented, but also the stories. Because there's more than just zoot suit that everyone does. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that's what separates us. And we're not afraid to do the stories that are people are, are scared of. We just closed uh, The Ghost of Lote Bravo, and that is a very heavy show. My favorite part was seeing audience exit, and they were just so solemn mm. after exiting and just saying thank you about the story because it's an unfortunate story that happens, but it has to be told. We're not afraid to tell those stories. But then we also, of course, like Luchadora, which was a very uplifting story <laughs> and fun. It's it kind of like a Jekyll and Hyde yeah. situation at the beginning of the season where we started with this colorful Luchadora and then 
went straight into Gosa Lote Bravo. Mm. Um, so, but I think that's what separates us from many other theater companies, that we're not afraid to go there, hence the term alas. Well, I want to sort of go back into sort of these different themes of the programs that you offer, like the Gozo Lote Bravo, that was about the disappearance and murders of girls in Ciudad Juarez. Laura, do you kind of go into presenting these shows maybe with a little bit of uncertainty because perhaps maybe audiences, they want to go to the theater for a good time. And then they're presented with a really heavy storyline. Um, but obviously, as Abe was saying, they're leaving thanking you in the end. So I mean, how do you balance sort of these emotions of the storylines in these plays that you present to audiences? Well, I think initially, when we're thinking about an overall season, right, we think about the balance of what all we are going to offer. But yeah, initially, there is some reluctance. But we think about the stories that we want to tell. We think about what's important to get out to the gente. And we feel like the stories that aren't often told just need to be told. And we feel that good theater has to really spark conversation, right? Whether it be that you walk out of that theater feeling good or angry, frustrated, which so many people walked out of that theater saying, more than anything, I'm angry. Mm -hmm. I'm frustrated. I'm just so angry about what happened because these people didn't have choices, right? Or the choices they had weren't good choices. And I said, yes. And that is the truth of life. And that is what theater is supposed to do. It is a mirror of life. That's what we put up on stage is a mirror showing us what life is so that our audiences can relate to it and can go back home and have discussions. And hopefully it's a call to action that they can do something about it. They can understand that this is not something that just, yes, it happened, right? But it's also still happening. It, it is a true story. And so it is not something that is far away. It's something that's still happening today. It will happen tomorrow. And it'll continue to happen unless people do something about it. So we want to bring awareness. We're not just there to entertain. So that's something that's important to us as a company is that we are a voice for those that cannot speak up for themselves. And I think that's one thing that many, I'll categorize them as politicians, perhaps maybe conservatives, you know, they're the ones that tell you to shut up and sing or to shut up and, you know, play football or whatever it is. But the arts really, I think, more than anything else in human culture presents education, presents awareness in a way that would be inaccessible for people who would never hear about the femicides in Juarez or about, you know, the stories of women wrestlers in the 1960s. You know, these are little hidden aspects of history that these playwrights have so cleverly staged in order to entertain and educate audiences and, in a sense, almost get them politically active. And it, it makes me think of the theater troops during the farm workers movement. Yes. And so, Abe, can you tell us a little bit more of maybe uh, the influences that you've received in your career in theater, whether maybe that kind of activism sort of drove you into that theater career, just that, that awareness, that growing awareness of it's not just getting up there and acting. You're really, you're a messenger. Yeah. Um, I mean, my journey 
is different just like everybody else is. But I mean, of course, you're that doe-eyed little person <laughs> that wants to go on stage and you want to be in front of people because you like the way it feels when an audience pause or you interact with people. But it wasn't until my university that I went to, I was studying acting, but then I veered off or was encouraged to go into more directing aspect of it. And it wasn't until I started my studies in directing that I finally got that I have control of what stories I want to tell and how to tell it. And it wasn't until after I graduated and I was, um, I've been a teacher for 11 years now. It wasn't until I was speaking with my students about it and picking seasons that I was, for me personally, I understood the power that theater has. Because even if it's Romeo and Juliet, the story that every high school puts (laughs) on at some point, right? Every time you approach it, it's new to a different generation, to a different group of kids. So for me, in hindsight, after reflecting upon all that and working at these different locations and these different schools that I worked at and the populations that they had, did I notice some discrepancies in the arts. So some of the schools that I taught at were predominantly white. And so when I switched and moved to a different school that wasn't white, like it was jarring for me because then I was like, oh, not that my rapport was different, but what they knew was different than what I expected because in education, they teach us to teach mm-hmm. by the book, but what we don't know or what we should know that that book has a color to it, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was jarring, but also for me, I was like, they deserve the art that I love just as much. And that's kind of what fueled me at, to be a teacher is I want to instill the passion that I have for theater into my students because theater is the longest art form there ever was. Dated back to the caveman times, (laughs) right? And I want them to keep it alive, especially in this day and age where we have all these AIs that are happening and all these technologies that are approaching. That's where I'm coming from. And then it was in hindsight even more when um, I had my experiences that I realized that my college experience was very different than my coworkers who we so happened to be at the same college. And when we were discussing it, I was like, that's very different than what they told me. And then we discovered it was because she was a white female and I was a Hispanic male. And so those are two very different experiences at the same college. So I wasn't mad I was just upset, and I also have had conversations with my alma mater, and it's fine now. They've gotten so much better. (laughs) It takes time. Yes, yes. It's important that there's awareness brought Mm -hmm, to it, right? mm -hmm. And I think the fact that you were able to become aware of that situation and then bring awareness to the alma mater, it's good for them to become aware of that, right, and have those conversations because it's things like this that bring awareness to that. Well, yeah, because then bring it back. When I found teatro, I was like, this this feels right. This is something that all the stars have aligned for me to prepare myself to be a part of it because I want to tell those stories. I want to make people aware. I want to just encourage Mahinte, you know, to help those actors, give them opportunities because I wasn't given that option, right? So I'd rather open the door for them, you know, so other people can have that. Abramides is a board member and managing director of San Antonio's Teatro Audas. We're also talking with the group's executive and artistic director and co-founder, Laura Garza. When we come back, theater students often face a harsh reality when it comes to that dream role. And I talked to even my my white students as well. I was like, you will be offered more roles. You will be offered more things. This is happening. When you see that happening, I want you to look at your 
peers and just know that. Recognize it, because even recognizing it is in itself helpful. Our conversation continues next on Fronteras. Welcome back to Fronteras. I'm Norma Martinez with Texas Public Radio in San Antonio. If we think of great works of theater, titles like Hamlet, The Glass Menagerie, or even Our Town might come to mind. These are all great works. Great works written by white men. Teatro Audaz in San Antonio has a mission to bring diverse and inclusive projects to the stage that highlight the varied experiences of Latinos. We're talking today to the Teatro's co-founder and executive artistic director, Laura Garza, and the group's managing director, Abe Ramirez. Garza purposefully chooses themes each season that reflect the teatro's purpose. Let's go back to our last season, Familias Todo, and why I chose that season, why we went with that theme. Uh, We were just coming out of uh, the pandemic, right? And uh, theater was coming back to everybody coming in person. And really, COVID and the pandemic really brought to the forefront that we were so disconnected from each other. And what we really needed more than anything I feel, as a gente, is our family. We saw that. We saw that so much. And me, myself, I lost, like we all did, we all lost people during that time. I lost my brother, and it was very hard. Uh, And so that season was, for me, at least dedicated to him. And it was very important to me that we made it special that way. And so that season really was a catalyst, I think, for us. It Mm -hmm. really stepped us up to the next level. Our entire production team stayed together for the whole season. And that's the first time we've done that. And we grew so much stronger, and they're still with us now. We've grown so much just from that last season. So those shows we did were Bad Hombres, Good Wives by Herbert Seguenza. It was a hilarious comedy that was directed by Juan Calderon. It was hilarious, and we had so much fun with that show. And audiences still come up to me today and go, oh, my God, Teatro Adas, you guys did Bad Hombres, Good Wives. That was so much fun. It was so funny. They love that show. you know. And then right before that, we had done uh, Mesquite Tree, which was a show that I was actually in. But we only had one weekend of a run for that because COVID ended up intervening mm-hmm. and cutting our run short. It was a great show. It was an original script by David Davila. And then before that, we did... Um, Man of the Flesh. Man of the Flesh. And that was... Very different for us. I think that was the very first show we did that was really kind of, I want to say, a step in a very different direction for us. But also, again, very in line with what we do, right? We we are going to take those steps fearlessly because that's what we're about. And then Mariachi Girl, Mariachi Girl mm-hmm. which, again, a very different thing for us. That was our very first uh, Mariachi musical. So... All very different shows, but something that we wanted to have a little bit of something for everybody, all centered around the theme of family in different ways, but all centered around family. Um, And that season was very successful for us. We garnered 25 ATAC awards with that season. And what are those? Uh, ATAC Alamo Theater Arts Council Globe Awards, um, you know, for different areas of directing, design, performance, original script. So we really did put ourselves on the map or in the scene with that season, along with two Broadway World Awards for that. So we're very proud of our last season because that that was a very a huge catalyst for us. 
And then, you know, it kind of just pushed us into this season. Uh, we started out with, what was our first? Uh, Luchadora. Luchadora. Yeah. <laughs> I know, it's, it's just been such like a whirlwind that I'm like, oh my God, what's the next? It's like we've got one after the next, mm-hmm. after the next. So Luchadora was so much fun. Family show, but, you know, this season it's a little bit different, right? We're trying to kind of like uh, go through a different journey in reclaiming our roots and kind of like finding out more about our past. So this is what this season is about. Well, you know, there's really no way to learn about yourself than by learning about your past. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think your shows are so terrific in the fact that they, you know, there's always going to be some of the audience that will be like, I remember that. I had the exact same experience. And they'll tell maybe their daughter or their niece or whoever might be sitting next to them in the theater, and they'll branch off onto all these other stories. Mm-hmm. So just the conversations that continue past when the play's run is done, you know, they will continue. And that education and that awareness will also continue to expand. You know, I love, Abe, the fact that there's musicals also that Teatro Audaz is doing. And I know there's one coming up here soon. Um, It is Somewhere Over the Border, uh, written by Brian Quijara. And it's exactly what you think. (laughs) It is... It is Wizard of Oz-esque story of a 17-year-old named Reina who wants to go over the border to the United States to find a, a better place for her son. And then she, along the way, meets these people who are the archetypes of our scarecrow, our tin man, mm-hmm. and our lion, told in a very different – I'm really excited about it – like a different <laughs> way um, – because I'm just a big Wizard of Oz fan, and to see this all put together like blew my mind. But yeah, so somewhere over the border, that's what we're working on next. I think directing a play is one thing, but directing a musical is entirely something different. I would assume. I mean, there's so many different parts. Are you going to have live musicians? Are you going to have you know uh, re- recorded music? How does all that work? Uh, we will have live musicians. Uh, and so, yes, we start with our music first. The actors will start learning music first. Then we go into choreography, and Abe is our choreographer. Uh, so we'll be doing that. And then we go into blocking, which is where I step in because I'm directing this one. So I'm ex- really excited about that. And then we put it all together, right? And then we go in, and the musicians come in, and they uh, they sit in for a couple of rehearsals towards the end, and we start dress rehearsals, and then we put it up. It's one of those things where it is a very different beast, so to say, because it is not just, okay, you stand here, you stand here, you stand here. It's so different because you have your musical numbers, then you have the parts where they're just talking, but then you also have ensemble members, and you have to bring them in in certain parts. (laughs) So it's interesting. And then with this one, we actually got permission from the playwright to add ensemble members because originally he wrote the script with just the main characters. Six people. Six people. And we were like, you know... We are about being inclusive as much as possible. We want to give as many of our gente as many opportunities as possible to be on stage, especially our local actors, because we have such talented people here in San Antonio that we want to showcase them, right? And so we wrote to him and said, what do you think about adding ensemble members? He's like, I think that would be kind of cool to see. And I was like, okay, well, then I guess we're going to do it. (laughs) So uh, we're adding ensemble members to ours, and uh, hopefully he'll be joining us for one of the weekends to come and do a playwright platica. We're still in the works of trying to get him here. You know, we were able to get Alvaro Sarrios to come for Luchadora. That is another initiative we're trying to do is get the playwrights to come 
and visit us for each show. Uh, Hillary wasn't able to come for Gozo Lote Bravo. Uh, she was traveling during the time of our show, but hopefully we can get it for this one and then the next one after that as well. So, Well, the one after that, Abe, is It's a Wonderful Vida, mm-hmm. which kind of also, <laughs> like the previous show, was a take on a classic. Yes. Can you tell us about that one? That one, it's a holiday show, mm-hmm. um, and it's it just feels very local because it's set in um, Corpus Christi, and it's about a Hispanic household. Yeah, set in the 50s. 50s yeah, mm-hmm. 1950s, which is in itself, if you hear that sentence, a Hispanic household in the 1950s, yeah. you should well, know yeah. what's going to happen. <laughs> they're, they're an immigrant family, and they're trying to assimilate and also reach for the American dream, right? Mm-hmm. It's all through a fake Santa Claus that kind of is almost like a narrator type, which is kind of interesting to watch. And we're excited because for this one, we have one of our returning uh, members who was in one our very first show, I Know. It was our very first big production. Um, her name is Nora Moreno-Jarrell. She was an actress in that show. She is going to be returning as the director for this show. We're excited because she is a director here in town uh, for John Jay High School. Mm-hmm. She's been directing for many years. Amazing. And, and she amazing. is a, a great director. And I just can't wait to see her perspective and take on this show. Well, She's I'm, from Corpus, too. So The one thing I, I really admire about, you know, sort of the theater community is all the interchangeable parts. You're on stage, you're behind the stage, you're directing, you're, you know, doing props. You're always doing a lot of everything. <laughs> um, and I'll ask this of both of you. I'll start with Abe. I mean, were, did you expect uh, when you were starting out in theater <laughs> that you would be, uh, first of all, working in, in such diverse parts of theater and also be where you are now? Um, No. (laughs) (laughs) What did Uh, you expect? Well, they don't tell you. And that's why me as an educator, I tell my students, but no one tells you that there's so much more to it. And there's so much more opportunities in theater, which is why I love teaching it, because I can find a job for literally any type (laughs) of A personality, any type of learner, and I can get a job for them. That's important in the theater. Mm-hmm. That's why I like it. My kids call it a family. It's a, a big family because we don't know where you where to put you yet, but we will find a spot. Like <laughs> yeah. the showing machine doesn't like you. That's fine. Maybe you're more of a light person. <laughs> like go over there. <laughs> um, but for me personally, I had it in the back of my head. I knew that I wanted to be a teacher and I knew that sometime I would be by myself because I didn't know my future, like where my job would be. So I had to just dive in and do everything. So I was in the mindset of I have to learn how to do this. I need to learn how to do lighting. I need to learn how to construct. I need to learn how to read a, a ground plan and mix audio. I needed. I knew that I needed to do that because I would come a day that I would have to do it all. And I'm doing it all. I'm by myself <laughs> at my school. <laughs> so it's come in handy. Um, what school is that, by the way? Uh, I'm teaching at Davenport High School. Okay. And yeah. Laura, what about you? I grew up thinking I was going to be a famous actress, you know, like we all do. <laughs> I wanted to perform. Uh, and it wasn't until I ended up at uh, San Antonio College that Paula Rodriguez, the my director there, really opened my eyes to all the things that you could do in theater, right? It's not just performing. Uh, and then when I went on to UIW, uh, Incarnate Word, uh, that's where I really started kind of diving a little bit more into directing. And I kind of really liked it. 
And so that's when I made the choice to go on to Texas State and get my master's in directing. You know, I still do a little bit of performance every now and then, but I really stick with directing more often because, you know, my brain can't handle memorization as much as it used to. I'm getting a little old. But anyway, I digress. Uh, Yeah. As a teacher, because I I also teach, um, I'm at San Antonio College. I'm the uh, instructor and program coordinator there now. I tell my students the same thing. I was like, there is something for everyone. And that's the beauty of theater is that there's always something, you know, for you to do. If you don't like to perform, that's okay. You know, there's something backstage. If you don't like to do the backstage stuff, then come on, let's see what you can do up here. There's always something. And going back to Abe's experience of starting out in theater and realizing there was like a whole different other experience other than what you started off with. I mean, the fact that you both are now instructors, that you both teach theater, you can take what you missed, what you lacked in that early part of the education, not knowing about the representation and the diversity in theater and actually pass that along to your students now. I am jealous of my students (laughs) because... Not to toot my own horn, but I'm teaching them a lot more than I was given. And that's always my my thought process. I always want to give them more than I got. And I also tell them a little bit more because I don't want them to be sidetracked like I was. Like it was a hard hit to my my ego when I went to college. And then I saw people get roles when I knew I was like, I think I'm a little bit better than that. But then when professors would talk to you, it'd be like, well, you didn't look the part. Mm. Or when they say, well, we have a role for you, get ready. And then you play an Italian merchant. I was like, cool. (laughs) Or you're the gangbanger. Right. Or you're (laughs) the servant. Right. "Mm." That was a huge blow to my ego. But also, like, I, I never knew that that was happening was until I was having dis- discussions with my um, coworker who also attended the university and like how our experiences were, were different that I never wanted my students who wanted to pursue this, right? I always um, had a conversation and pulled all my seniors aside and just was like, I know you want to do this. Uh, we've created a safe place for you here where you, we saw you and fit you into whatever role that you wanted to go for, Right. Because that's what educational theater is. However, mm-hmm. letting you know that when you go away from us, it will change. Because unfortunately, what I think the mindset is, is when you go to the college level, they're trying to train you for what's going to happen in the real world. And so when I've talked to my professors, they knew what they were doing. They were helping me understand what was going to happen if I were to pursue this as a career. But then I was like, but then you're setting up the other students for failure. When that doesn't happen. You sort know? of a never-ending circle. Right. Mm-hmm. And so my thought process was if I could encourage them and just open their eyes so they can be aware of it. And I talked to even my, my white students as well. I was like, you will be offered more roles. You will be offered more things. This is happening. When you see that happening, I want you to look at your peers and just know that. Recognize it. Because even recognizing it is in itself helpful. I didn't want them to get sidetracked as like I did or get like pummeled by it. Because it felt like a bus just hit me and when it all like, you know, when like in the movies where it zeroes in and you're like, aha, Mm. I don't want that to happen to them. So I kind of give them the armor a little bit before they they head out. Have we gotten better? Slowly. Is there a lot more work to do? Yes, there's a lot more work (laughs) to do. But that's kind of where I come from. And 
why I became an instructor, just for that reason alone. And that's some of the work that we do, right? I mm-hmm. mean, that's why we do what we do, because we want to see young audiences of today see themselves represented on stage. Um, we want them to see that it's possible for them to be the main character of their own stories. We want them to see their stories on stage. Even write their stories. And Mm -hmm. write their own stories, right? I want them to be the stars or the director or whatever it might be. So there's that. But also, like in my own program at San Antonio College, like my professors before me, I want to give them opportunities to have the opportunity to be on stage as much as possible, not just in stereotypical roles. I don't do traditional casting, and I've made that very clear from day one when I walked in those doors. I said, I am very non-traditional in my casting. Uh, I am very diverse in what I do, so get ready, right? (laughs) I was like, I will mix things up, and I did. When I did Midsummer Night's Dream, I had a woman play King Oberon, and she will be called King not queen. She is king. And that's the way it is, right? And and they loved it, right? And so for me, I feel that it's important that students uh, not only explore what makes them uniquely them, they explore it, they embrace it, and they use it to their full potential because nobody else can bring that to the table but them. And it wasn't until I realized that myself that I was able to really start to embrace my fullest potential because there were exactly what Abe said. You don't look the part. I got that so many times when I was younger and it just knocked me down. It basically pulled the air out of me so yeah, many times. Because you me can feel, get skills and you can work on your skills, but to be told no just because of how you, you look, don't look, you can't change, you that. Can't change that, that. That's got to be really harsh on your mental health and on your self-confidence. Because then you're like, well, well, what do I do? I got, and I did. I try, Well, I got to change the way I look. I got to lighten my hair. I got to change my eyes. I got to wait, Why? And I started to honestly not like who I was, not like or not even embrace myself, my discover who I am and who my people are and who, you know, what my history and my culture is. Uh, And I want them to do it early. And that's what we're trying Mm -hmm. to really instill in them now. Do it early and be proud of it. Laura Garza is executive and artistic director and co-founder of Teatro Audaz. We also spoke today with board member Abe Ramirez, the group's managing director. Teatro Audaz is hard at work on its next production, the musical Somewhere Over the Border by Brian Quijada, directed by our guest Laura Garza. It starts a three-weekend run September 2nd at the McAllister Fine Arts Auditorium on the San Antonio College campus. More information on future shows and pictures from past productions are at tpr.org. Thanks for joining us for Fronteras. Fronteras is produced by Norma Martinez and Maria Navarro. Our executive producer is Dan Katz. Our editor is Fernando Ortiz Jr. Teranga Cakewalk composed our theme music. Hear past episodes at tpr.org and on the Fronteras podcast. I'm Norma Martinez with Texas Public Radio in San Antonio.